Welcome to the Conversations with Women of Color podcast with your hosts Danusha and Megan. Hello, I'm Danusha. Hey guys, I'm Megan. We are two digital content creators based in South Africa who are passionate about diversity and inclusivity for women of color. We invite women of color from all different backgrounds to our conversations to tell your stories. Join us as we embark on a journey to discover empowering teachings from influential women. In today's episode, we chat with Lisa Adams, creative technologist and co-founder of The Citizen Code. Lisa gets candid about her upbringing in the colored community. She also shares what influenced her decision to enter the tech industry and some of the challenges she faces today. Hey Lisa, how are you doing this evening? I'm good. I'm excited to be here and to be speaking to you. How are you? I'm very, very good. Thank you. We're also very excited to chat with you today. Hi, Lisa. Welcome to Conversations Women of Color. Uh, take two, but we're excited. <laughs> um, so, Lisa, we want to know a little bit more about your background. Please tell us more about yourself. So, I am Lisa Adams. Um, I'm a creative technologist, and I've been part of building technology products for the past 11 years now. Um, I got into the industry by chance and I stayed because <laughs> it kept me here. Um, I, I like helping people and solving problems. Um, and along the way, I discovered that technology can allow you to do this at, at a big scale. Um, so I initially actually studied um, journalism, left that behind, also somewhat helped me. Um, and I've worked in the technology for social good for the, for the bulk of, of my career. Um, I'm also a colored woman. I was born to a teenage mom at the age of 16. Um, I grew up in Athlone, Cape Town. Um, I grew up in a really poor and very volatile community. Um, Being colored in South Africa and born to a teenage pregnancy doesn't really offer you many opportunities. And um, at least so I thought until I discovered how important my discourse is and and how it actually later become my biggest strength in designing technology for communities that need it most. Um, so I come out of a very rough upbringing. I was exposed to all kinds of elements um, like violence and gangsterism, drugs, abuse, uh, sexual assault. Um, so a lot of those circumstances um, growing up meant that I had to create a lot of opportunities for myself. Um, the chances of success for someone like me was and, and is still unfortunately really low. So that is that is my my, my background. Uh, Lisa, you, you said something, and I just want to um, touch on that. You said that uh, you thought that your chances of success uh, was unfortunately very low because of the background and, you know, the kind of community you grew up in. So I think my story is very similar. What influenced your mindset and what did you change within your mindset um, that basically helped to shape the women? Um, that you are today? That's a really interesting question. Many things that I'm still discovering all the time. So, you know, while I I did study um, journalism, access to university was never, never an option for me. Um, in my immediate family, uh, nobody had completed a formal degree and me going to study meant that my mom had to, you know, financially break herself to get me an education that was just sufficient enough for me to start the career. And then I went and chose um, the technology industry, you know, white male-dominated industry with, let's, let's call it severe issues around diversity and inclusivity. 
Um, and with all that I am and like those schools that I just described, I guess it's a really good question on like why the heck would I choose to go into a space that isn't really welcoming and doesn't have like the kind of insights um, as to why a woman of color like me can help build better technology. So when I when I started Citizen Code, um, I did this after a really long time of being in the technology space and, and also after a really long time of doubting myself about you know, why I should be qualified to start a technology business and try to do some meaningful work with it. And my my thought process around it went, you know, how does someone like me with the quote-unquote baggage that I have, the scary things in my past because of what I was exposed to, how how do I get taken seriously enough to be a, a tech CEO? I don't look like one. I don't sound like one. I don't have money like one. Um, I don't have the clean slate that a privileged white man or woman would, in most cases, have to start from. So... My baseline is filled with uh, trauma and skeletons in my closet, so I thought. Um, and, and I think a lot of people of color battle with the same kind of imposter syndrome um, because of the, the initial challenges that we have at the start. So I decided that when I, when I talked myself out of this imposter syndrome, that it went on for much longer than I can admit, um, I had to shift my mindset around that thing. I decided that you know, these experiences, these traumas, the mistakes I've made, the unlearning of, of lots of conditioning that, you know, wanted to keep me stuck in a bubble that's designed by white patriarchal power would actually be tool set or the, the things that give me a seat at the table. In fact, I actually just wanted to go in and start a whole new table. So everything I've been through has really prepared me to do this part of my life journey and my career and these two things intersect all the time. I think I'm at the best possible place that I can be to do that. And so my growth and my 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 qualification around this industry really happened very organically um, because I didn't choose to, to study technology. Um, but I think that in shifting my thinking, I've realized that I have a lot of intersection that cuts across many different kinds of products and makes me an end user in many scenarios. And I think that in shifting my mindset in that way, I'm able to bring a context to some of the most important challenges that we face in society and to ensure that our designs include the voices and thinking of findable groups. And this, you know, this passion for really understanding diversity and inclusivity and understanding myself and how that impacts design, it, it really drives me to ensure that I build teams that bring further intersection and further representation to make sure that we're doing our best effort to, to be the end users in the room. Because that's what technology is doing, right? It's building, it's building things that humans use. And I think we're at a really important time to start asking, who are these humans? What does their access look like? And how do we make sure we do this in a way that we don't create further divides in, in society? Such an interesting story. I love that you used your childhood and your trauma and, and everything that happened to you um, to fuel what you do now. That's quite amazing if you look at it. It does come full circle. It does. It's, um, <laughs> it's, it's really a really surreal feeling. It's, 
when you turn uh, trauma into purpose. Um, mm. And that's why a lot of the time it's really difficult for me. The lines are really blurred between my career and just my life journey. Um, it, it, it all becomes really one. It's, it's my greatest purpose in life. Sure, that's very powerful. Um, so you spoke about how the industry is very wide dominated. I've worked in the tech space and um, studied computer science as well. Do you still find that it's very white dominated or white male dominated? Um, it is. It, it's, it's, it's still really struggling. But I think, you know, what technology has allowed me to do is obviously because everybody needs like some kind of tech, right? So you find yourself in all different kinds of industries, like retail needs tech and um, the social goods space needs tech. And being in those, having exposure to those different kinds of industries does make me believe that even though as a technology space, we have a very large divide, a very big um, mission for equality, I think that we are doing a really good job trying to be more inclusive and I think we are ahead of the curve and there's just so much that other other you know industries can actually look into and learn from us if you look at um at, at Google and the diversity and inclusivity strategies and policies one of the things I think that they do really well is actually just telling people how crap they are at DNI right um and that they are time. So they share out the DNI stats on an, on an annual basis. And I think it's such an interesting way to actually hold yourself accountable. You know, you, you're being very honest um, and you're very public <laughs> about it. Um, but I think it's a really great effort that's happening in the industry besides that. And Google kind of paves the way forward for many other companies and industries. So it's really good to see that. Yeah, um, I also love that they're being transparent and just holding themselves accountable. I really think that um, more brands and, and organizations should be doing that. Um, Lisa, you mentioned in your introduction that you are a creative technologist. Um, you are also the founder of um, Citizen Code. Can you maybe tell us a little bit more about um, Citizen Code and um, what are you doing with this platform? So Citizen Code is a, a team of, of technologists um, from the African continent trying to build meaningful technology. Um, we are in a space of, you know, figuring out a lot of what we're trying to do. One thing I love about the technology space is the room for failure. Um, and failure is really celebrated. So it's like, try, 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 fail, look at the lesson, build something better, do something better. Um, so we're very much in the space of, you know, trial and error. Um, but currently we are partnered with some, uh, some interesting um, for good uh, organizations like uh, Girl Effect and Turn. Um, and we are you know, partnering with these organizations to help them build technology for um, for communities and community development. Um, so we're doing lots of, uh, a lot of our work at the moment is around chatbot services, which is really interesting. Um, that chatbot services are becoming sort of the internet for emerging markets. Um, and 
that is the area that we have a lot of work in at the moment. Um, but our bigger mission and our bigger drive is to 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 build out a a business that um, has a massive social good element and allows us to do social good, but also build other cool and meaningful pieces of technology. Um, and the, the the way that we're trying to do this is is by empowering, um, you know, especially people of color in the space to be part of this collective and and and. It's not just about you know equality and trying to uh, take up space. It's also about um, about equity and, and owning that space. And we are hopefully going to figure out a really cool way um, to give everybody that we work with some kind of ownership um, within the space for themselves as well. So that's amazing. So it's basically a social impact organization. Everything that you do impacts society in a good way yeah 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 so it's about um you know we we really went back and forth with this in the beginning when you you try and you know describe and define who you are and it's you know this, this social good word gets thrown around quite a lot and it's actually also really restrictive um because that's largely associated to being a non-profit enterprise um and we are a private company um, and we we are not a non-profit. You know, we would like to make some money. Um, we'd like to share that money. And we'd like to, you know, emancipate ourselves via some good work as well. So that, you know, things sort of come full circle. A lot of the time, this money is taken up um, by, you know, white-led organizations. Um, there's, no, there's no true equity for us in the space. Um, so... That's why I prefer <laughs> I prefer to speak about what we do as meaningful tech. That could be anything. I could build WhatsApp, and that could be meaningful and profitable, and I could also use it for social good. Um, so unfortunately, you know, a lot of business models with just doing social tech does not mean um, you know a lot of margin, a lot of money. Um, so we're trying to build out some products that, that add some value, can generate some revenue, and can allow us to also find our own projects and our own social good. So that's um, sort of where we're at at the moment with that. Um, and our team is really interesting. Um, my co-founder, Yassin Amdoulay, um, comes from a lot of experience in big tech. Um, he's done the rounds at uh, Silicon Valley, at Facebook, uh, he's worked at Google UK, um, and he's joined me as um, co-founder and CTO. Um, and then we have core team members. Um, we have an anthropologist who's doing a PhD in female sexual pleasure. Um, we've got a content strategist um, who's joined our team as well, and we have a, a lawyer um, who deals with uh, family and criminal matters. Um, and we also have a team of um, other engineers who do work with us. Um, but the point is that we have this you know, core drive and team of people um, with the intersections that we require um, to do meaningful work. And yeah, we're figuring it out. <laughs> but for now, I think we, we are the right, the right group of people 
um, to be doing this. Sounds like you have quite a nice, uh, well-rounded and diverse team there as well. And you spoke earlier about, you know, building that seat at the table, creating your own table. So as a woman of color, what was it like for you to start a business? And, and what's your experience been like? Has it been easy or difficult? A bit of both. We probably need a whole two hours <laughs> for me to get into the challenges for. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, so it's been, I'll start with the easy part first. Um, it's been, been easy because I think that I've spent enough time, you know, finding myself in the space. Um, also, just as like a human um growing and learning and like I said earlier you know I'm learning a lot of conditioning and dealing with who I am to be in a position of leading other people in that leadership role um and I've spent a lot of time in the in the social good industry um to the point that I've 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 got and developed a really good network of people um I like to say that while I don't have the most capital wealth to inject into a business, I do have a lot of net wealth. And that is a really, really valuable thing to have as well. So that sort of made it made it easy in a sense of making connection and already having a platform where I've developed myself and built a brand around that and have trusting relationships with others. The challenging part of building a business as a colored woman in South Africa, it's endless. Um, aside from the, you know, the imposter syndrome that I told you about and getting over that, I think one of the real challenges that I've, I've faced recently is, you know, you expect that you, as a, as a woman and a woman of color, that you, you, you try to start a business that your biggest allies would be other women. Um, and that they'd be supporting you. Um, and, you know, that's what the, the feminist agenda says, right? We, we are to support each other. And one of the surprising things that I'm facing at the moment is that my biggest allies in helping me accelerate my business and offering me um, opportunities and support are actually white males in this industry. And I think that, you know, the way in, in which that's developing is, is a whole story on its own for just how to make use of your male privilege in a way to uh, encourage equality. So it's been a, let's say this comes from a, from a place with a lot of pain, <laughs> a surprising and disheartening challenge is just the experiences I've had with um, with both white women and women of color in this in this space. Um, doing doing something like this as a woman of color means you know everything about you is up for scrutiny. Um, people are going to look for ways to discredit you. The space can be very unforgiving and 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 it's highlighted some really deep rooted issues within the feminist movement for me. Um, you know, never before have I really experienced what it is like to actually level up with white ownership. So 
a struggle that I have at the moment is, you know, suddenly where I expected support within my network from uh, white women, um, I've seen that there's been sort of like a distance when it comes to the support. And, you know, for the most part within, with fem within feminist history, you know, white women um, have supported women of color, you know, when it benefits them. Mm. And when you when you try to take some equity in this space, it creates a large discomfort. And I think it's really an important thing for us to interrogate as as women. Um, traditionally, you know, the gender gap was framed it was framed like this: gender equality really actually meant white women getting equal opportunity off of the backs of women of color. Women of color looked after and raised their kids at home while, you know, they took up space and created equilibrium for themselves. So suddenly when the woman of color steps up and asks for the same space, I found that there's a real struggle to share. Um, it's as if, you know, how do you have the audacity to level up to me sometimes? And it's, it's, it's a really painful place. Um, and, and I think it plays into many issues within that, you know, white savior complex within this social group space um, where, you know, they want to mentor you and help you and guide you. But oftentimes, you know, that mentorship and that guide is met with a glass ceiling too. And that, that glass ceiling is designed to, you know, keep you at a level that doesn't surpass them, doesn't encourage you to actually grow. And I think that the space is problematic because a, a big realization that, that I think we need to interrogate as women is that, um, you know, white feminism doesn't understand that what women of color need is not equality, but also equity. And feminism and allyship is, is, is nothing without understanding the impact of, of intersectionality. And I think for me, as a woman, as a woman of color, as a woman starting a business, as a woman in the tech space, as a as a woman with the background that I have, this is the most pained challenge um, that I'm dealing with at the moment. Um, I just want to touch on something um, specifically in the um, specifically on the feminist movement. So you were speaking about you know the fact that sometimes when you um, when you see all these like feminist movements, you feel like women should be supporting each other, especially women of color. And very often it's met with, you know, jealousy or some sort of resistance where women of color don't want to support you. And it's actually quite shocking because you feel like, you know, they understand your story and they are probably the ones that um, really should be supporting you. Do you think that um, women of color don't want to support other women because of the lack of resources or because sometimes you thought that, you know, there's competition and there are only so many opportunities. So we kind of like, you know, all fighting for the same opportunities. I think you hit the nail on the head with that one. I think that it's a lot to do with conditioning. I think it's a lot to do with um, inheriting a really difficult past. I think, you know, there's, there's just there's so many reasons for, for why that happens um, and the difficulty in sharing. Because like you said, the opportunities for us are, are, are not as common as they are for other groups of people. 
And I think that does make it difficult to share. Because of our lived experiences, women of color, we are, you know, one of the most overlooked groups and we get screwed over a lot of the time. We get screwed over in the pay gap, in the gender gap, yeah. in just the disrespect towards us as, as, as women. It creates a mentality, I think, where you have to sort of have your back up against the wall all the time and sort of, you know, be prepared for being screwed over in some kind of way all the time. And it's hard, it's hard to trust um, that you can let go of that and you can drop your guard. Um, it's, it's hard for us to, to operate from a space of, um, of just unlearning that. Um, so Lisa, you recently teamed up with Girl Effect. Um, so do you want to tell us more about that and how we can use technology to empower and support young teenage girls in South Africa? Girl Effect and I have been friends for a really long time. Um, I worked with them for a large part of, of my career. Um, and I'm a big fan, a super fan of what they do. Um, so they were originally started by uh, Nike as Nike Foundation's um, social good enterprise. And they, over the years, um, became an independent organization. And their focus is on building technology to improve the lives of women and girls in developing countries. Um, and so my work with them, with well, Citizen Codes partnership with, with Girl Effect at the moment, is to be a uh, a technology partner, a thought partner around the approach to their technology. Um, we also are working with them from a content strategy point of view and, you know, designing uh, a, a conversational um, uh, strategies around the chatbot services and the content for that, which I think is also wonderful because they're super supportive of getting to work with um, teams and people who are actually in the countries and spaces where they are doing work and who are representative of the end users. Um, and so we are helping them um, uh, improve and progress with the with the chatbot. Um, they've just recently implemented um, AI technology on the chatbot, which is wonderful. So it's like you're actually chatting to another person on the other side and you can just ask questions. Um, and it's uh, targeted at teenagers between the ages of 13 to 18 years old. Um, and it's supposed to be a safe space to just ask um, questions that you'd otherwise find uncomfortable about um, sex and sexual reproductive health and finding services um, and just better understanding your body at that age. Um, and we're also working with them. They've just launched on TikTok. You should certainly give them a follow at Hey Spinkster on TikTok. Um, and we are working with um, some influencers in South Africa, like Dr. Klalin, um, and they give you know, some really cool advice about um, you know, how to engage with your body. And um, just getting into that whole space on TikTok is really, really scary. I feel too old for it a lot of the time. <laughs> <laughs> Don't we all? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but I think with all the experience and, and, and all the wonderful women who are involved in, in, in from the girl effect side and from our side, 
um, we really are managing to, to, to nail it and um, and create you know uh, content on that platform. Um, so that's what we're doing with Girl Effect. Uh, you could also just keep following me on Instagram because I talk about it literally all of the time. <laughs> so you can find it there. The last question, because I think um, the information that you've provided and just hearing more about um, your story, I think that now citizen code, like it just makes sense to me, the business, the model and all the like great and amazing work that you guys are doing and that you're still going to do. If there's anyone listening and perhaps, you know, they are wanting to enter the tech industry, what advice do you have specifically for young women of color? So advice for women, young women who want to get into the technology industry, you can start now. If you're a teenager, the wonderful thing about the tech space is that it doesn't have a limited restriction for when you can actually start thinking. Um, you can learn coding pretty easily. There's so, so much online courses and, and I can link you to some of those that I recommend and, and some that I've used. Um, so I think that's a good place to start. And I think that a big, you know, factor for success in, in, in a career in this space is thinking about your why. Like, why are you doing this? Like, what drives you around it? Um, I think that's a really good place to start. And other than that, um, it's, it's also never too late to, to, to find a space and to, to, to be part of this tech industry. You don't have to be a young person at the beginning of figuring out your career. You can drop your whole career <laughs> and be uh, much older and you can still learn and there's space for everyone. Thank you so much, Lisa. Um, that was really valuable. Um, we'll drop all the links in the show notes. So if anyone wants to check out some of the courses you mentioned or some of the pages, they can just um, find it there. Yes, they can definitely do that. I'll send you some of the links. No problem. You see, Thank I told you so this much. was going to be better. <laughs> <laughs> well done. Yeah, you were great. Thank you for joining Conversations with Women of Colour. Check out our Instagram page called Conversations with Women of Colour and we'll see you there.